0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. We're experts now. <laughs> That's the blue Please include this on the F. Yeah. Hi, friends. My name is Jay Crossman. This is my wife, Amanda, and our 11-month-old daughter, Abby. We've been coming to North Valley for a little over five years now. In that time, we've had the privilege of serving on different ministry and mission teams, including guest services, the parking lot, and establishing the cafe. In this time of COVID and uh, our schedules as parents, um, we're serving in an interesting way this time. We're uh, leading the virtual community group. We meet on Thursday nights, so if you're interested in joining us, we'd love to have you registered. For today's message, we're excited to be jumping into week three of the iFamily series. Pastor Ryan is going to be talking about what iParenting looks like. We're still definitely getting used to this whole parenting thing with our sweet girl, so I know that we're excited to listen in today. Hopefully, you are too. Take it away, Pastor Ryan. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. Well, um, we're talking about parenting today. I just kind of want to get a feel for the room real quick. How many of you guys are parents? Would you raise your hand? Okay, a bunch of you. Look around. There's a lot of you. So um, say, you got this next to your neighbor. You got this. You can hang in there. You got this. Uh, Those of you that are grandparents, would you raise your hand? Grandparents. Awesome. Great. Let's celebrate all the families in our church. Uh, you singles that are here, this is your opportunity. Run! Run! Uh, parenting can be incredibly hard work. Um, you know, uh, right now we're getting ready in our household. Sam, my son, he's 16 years old. He's uh, ready to buy a car and, and he's getting ready. So we're like gearing up on what we're going to do. I'm, I'm pushing him towards a like a, a four-cylinder Toyota Tacoma so we can work on it together like an old model and have a desert truck, you know, and all this stuff. So we're getting ready for that. But I don't know if you knew this or not, uh, but Jesus actually, he drove a Honda. You know, he really, <laughs> Jesus drove a Honda. Uh, but really, the truth is, is that he didn't like to talk about it. You know, it's like he was always quiet about it. But there is one verse in the Bible that ta- where he talks about it. It says in John chapter 12, verse 49, he says, look, I do not speak on my own accord. Did you get it? Isn't that good? Wasn't that funny? Yeah, yeah actually, you know what's funny is somebody uh, shared that with me right after first service. And I said, dude, that is so funny. I'm going to write that down. And he's like, for next week? I'm like, no, just coming up the next service. So half of what you get is on the fly, so get ready. So uh, Luke chapter 2, verses uh, uh, 41 through 52 We're looking at the missing years of Jesus. Uh, We're actually looking at uh, when Jesus was like a a 12-year-old boy. So imagine Jesus with pimples. This is the Jesus we're going to find today. I just offended somebody. You're like, no, my Jesus is an old man. Like he's got a beard. He's 30 years old or 32 or 33. Or my Jesus is a baby Jesus. Well, Jesus was a man and he he grew up. So he's fully uh, human and fully God. That's called the hypostatic union within church history. You can look it up. The divinity and the humanity wed together. So it's a beautiful thing. So we're looking at Luke chapter 2, and uh, we're going to see kind of this storyline of Jesus and his uh, venture to the temple. So let's just jump in right away. In in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through uh, 52, here we go. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So it was like the, the normal custom, the, the pilgrimage, that if you were a Jewish man, for, for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We're going to go to Jerusalem. No matter where you lived, you're going to get to Jerusalem. You would want to get there a couple of times a year, but at least once, and especially on Passover. Passover. And so they're going, they're from Nazareth, they're going to Jerusalem, and the Feast of the Passover, literally the Passover was a one-day event, but then attached to that, because the Jewish folks loved to party, was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it'd be like a week-long festival. So who says being a believer isn't fun? Like everything about our faith and our history and our life, there's festivities and fun and family, and I hope you feel that at North Valley. Like, we're going to have a good time. And so Jesus, his parents, who's his parents, help me out. Joseph and, good. Joseph and Mary. Um, Joseph's a carpenter, uh, probably by this time, right? 12 years old. Jesus probably been in the carpenter shop, helping dad build things. Somebody somebody might've been like, hey, we heard rumor that your boy is the Messiah. I really hope it works out for him because he's not too good of a carpenter. You know, I don't know, but he was fully human, you know? And so he's a kid, he's 12 years old. And so he's growing into himself. And um, we're going to see his parents. We're going to look at this today and kind of see some parenting bloopers that happen. And when I read in scripture, I'm like, whoo, thank goodness that happened to them because it always happens to me. So watch what happens here. So 12 years old, they're going up according to custom. And the custom was, just by the way, real quick, they put the women and the children in the front And they'd be marching their way to Jerusalem, probably be singing a song on the way. It'd be aunts and uncles, cousins and nephews and nieces, grandparents, everybody's coming along, relatives, friends and family. They're all marching along. And then in the back would be the men just chopping it up. And the women, I don't know what they do. They don't chop it up, but they they talk. And so they're talking and doing their thing. But you'd say, why would they do that? Well, because they're pacing the caravan, the group of people. They want everybody to kind of march together when I was a backpacking guide back in Colorado in my early 20s, um, we would always put the slow pokes up front because when you're, you know, they drop us off out there in, middle of, uh, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and so we'd get dropped off, and I'd always find the, the slow pokes, and I'd say, Oh, you go to the front. You go to the front because we want the whole troop marching together so that we don't lose anybody. So I don't know what happened exactly. Maybe they didn't follow the custom, but watch what happens. Verse 43, and when the feast was ended, that means party's over at Jerusalem, they returned. They were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, who told him he could do that? Not Joseph and Mary. He just decided he's going to stay back. So his parents did not know it. I'm like, wow, I feel at home. Like, you ever left one of your kids before? Raise your hand. It's okay. You're in good company. Raise your hand. You ever left a kid anywhere? First service uh, was really honest. You guys are a bunch of liars. <laughs> Who has left their kid behind? Raise your- there you go. I see you now. It's okay. Hey, Joseph, if Joseph and Mary can do it, you, you're, you're gonna probably do it. I remember I left my kid, my son, or I think it was my son, uh, when he was just a little kid up at the community center up here. I get a phone call, they're like, hey, do you have a blonde-haired boy? Uh, about eight years old, and uh, his name is Sam. I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm so sorry. Well, you don't need to apologize to me. You might want to apologize to him. He's pretty worked up. I'm like, ah, oh, I felt terrible, you know? So imagine Joseph and Mary. I mean, they don't know it. I mean, I don't know. Like, can you imagine what Joseph's friend probably said to Joseph? Like, Joseph, seriously, isn't your son like the Messiah? You, you left the Son of God. I know, man. Can you, I know. We better pray. Imagine that prayer. <laughs> Dear gracious heavenly father, please forgive me. I lost your one and only son. <laughs> I mean, that's just not good. And so his parents did not know it. Verse 44, supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But when they began to search for him, Among their relatives and their acquaintances, verse 45, and when they did not find Him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for Him. They lost Jesus. How do you lose Jesus? Just not good. I feel good because I'm like, okay, this can happen, you know. I'm not so alone in this parenting venture. Verse 46, after three days they found Him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them, questions. Three days. So it's three days. It took a day to get back to Jerusalem. Oh, snap. We walked the whole day. We didn't even know where Jesus was. Uh Oh, we feel terrible. Oh, go back. And then they get there. They're looking for a day. And it just, it adds up to three days. There they are. And verse, verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus is like, like, he's dialoguing with highly intellectual, religious uh, teachers, philosophers, thinkers. Uh, he's debating. He is dialoguing. I mean, this is like a... He is, he's showing his intellectual power and presence in this moment. It is Luke, the historian, who's capturing these details. I mean, some of you, as grandparents or, or parents, you've dealt with uh, kids before that you're like, man, you are like an old soul. Like, you... You can intellectually engage, like you have words to say that are meaningful. And I'm very shocked. I remember uh, not too long ago, we were watching some kids that uh, in here in the church. They said, hey, we're going to go out of town. We're going to California. Will you watch our kids? And we're like, yeah, sure, we'll do it. And so we get ready to get the kids to bed. And my wife's like in the kitchen and she's like, hey, you need to go ahead and get the kids in bed. You just, you know, get them in there. I'm like, you know, I'm not good at this with my own kids, so I'm going to try this with somebody else's kids. We'll see how this goes. So I say, hey, little kiddo, you need to go ahead and lay down, you know, go to bed. It's night-night time. And then uh, she pops her head up and she says, you know, I really don't like being tucked in by you. And uh, go get your girlfriend and tell her to come in here and tuck me in. I was like, first of all, it's not my girlfriend. That's my wife. Second of all, you got it. I'm going to do what you say. So I go get Leslie. I'm like, hey, girlfriend, will you go tuck in this kid? Because <laughs> she just told me to go get you. She do not like me. And uh, so we kind of find this little fire with Jesus. He's kind of shocking them. It's kind of stunning. It's surprising. Verse 47, and all who heard it were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's, he's normal, but he's not normal. He's human, but he's divine. And this is Jesus. So Joseph and Mary, are they're caught up perhaps. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that all these miracles were happening with Jesus as a childhood. There's all Gnostic gospels and uh, different accounts that kind of fabricate the missing years. It's what it's literally called, about the childhood of Jesus and all that. The Bible doesn't really say a lot, but the Bible does tell us something. And it tells us that he he stood out. He's different. Verse 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Verse 48, and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. Like, what? (laughs) Jesus is, he's not just attending the festival, he's teaching the teachers. And so they're astonished. And his mother said to him, like any mom would, son, why have you treated us like this? Why have you treated us so? behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. In other words, like, she's probably agonized. I mean, she is heartbroken. I mean, she's probably thrilled that she found them. But, you know, like, she probably been thinking, like, if you were a little boy, I'd bend you over my knee right now and spank you. But then she's, like, astonished. She's shocked at what's going on. Verse 49. And he said to them, watch this, why were you looking for me? Like, wait a second, Jesus, wait, I'm the parent. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Verse 50, this is me and you. They did not understand the saying he spoke to them. You know, uh, there was a prophetic word given to Mary at the birth of Jesus or leading up to the birth of Jesus by uh, Simeon. And Simeon said to Mary, this child is going to be like a sword in your heart. It's going to cause a lot of pain in your life. Some of you got children that bring a lot of pain in your life. Jesus was going to bring a lot of pain into Mary's life because his destiny was death and a resurrection. But from the very beginning, Jesus was called to live a life fully human, but yet fully divine. Jesus eternally existed. He didn't come into himself. He eternally existed. He was there in creation. But Jesus grew like a man. And in this moment, he's moving from being a a, a boy to declaring his ultimate allegiance to his heavenly father and embracing sonship as the Messiah. And he says, I got to be about my father's house, and they did not understand. This wouldn't be the first time that Mary didn't understand. This wouldn't be the first time uh, or the last time that Mary wouldn't understand. She didn't understand. She treasured up all these things at the birth. She's going to treasure up all these things at the cross. She's going to treasure up. She's going to try to understand what in the world is going along, and it should give some hope and help for us as parents, I think, that we're not going to understand all the situations that our kids are going to go through. Verse 51, and they went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he, came, he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. There's a beautiful play there between the allegiance to the, his high, his heavenly father, and then his commitment as a human boy to submit to his parents' will. Good picture of that. So he's submissive to them and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And then in verse 52, it says, and Jesus increased in wisdom. In some translations, it says he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Some people would take it into being that Jesus is growing in his uh, spirituality here like... uh, Like he's just being endowed with some kind of powers or something like that? I I don't think so. I think theologically we need to agree that Jesus is eternal and he always was. He always is. He's eternal. Or else you're going to confuse the Trinity. But something is happening here in this moment, just like at the baptism of Jesus when, uh, when he's baptized later in his life in the, in the Jordan River and the, the, the dove comes down or the Holy Spirit is a representation of it in that. And the voice of the Father breaks out and says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Something beautiful, and powerful happens in that debut of beginning of ministry here. But here there's like this moment where he's not lo- no longer just a boy, He's God's son now. People are starting to get it. The, the word increased in the Greek means "prokoptin." I, I probably butchered the way I pronounce that. But it means to cut one's way forward. Jesus is cutting his way forward as the Messiah, as God's one and only son. He's cutting his way forward. It's like it's, a, it's a something deliberate and distinctive, pushing his way forward. I think about it like that of a... A running back when he breaks through a line or breaks through all sorts of folks that are trying to tackle him, like Derrick Henry, when he's running down the field. This is a giant running down the field, and he's just gonna gonna break forward. Jesus is doing that, and there's something distinctive about that. And I think there's some lessons for us as parents and how we parent our kids. First, I would say this is we got to clarify the goal. What is the goal of parenting? I would say the goal of parenting is that. Your goal is that your child should become independent of you and dependent on God. Let me say that again. The goal of parenting ought to be is that your child becomes independent of you and dependent on God. And if you don't, if you get that wrong, then you get dependent children your whole life and they never grow up and they constantly ask for money and you constantly help them because you've got the wrong goal in mind. You want them to be completely independent of you and dependent on God. You say, well, what about some more biblical foundation for that? Well, just take Genesis, for example. When the Bible says in Genesis, it says that for this reason, a man shall leave, right? His father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Amen? So the reality is is that we're called to break away. There's that word pro coptin, to cut one's way forward. That's the goal. You want these kids to be launched out and living on their own. They need to learn how to make decisions for themselves. They need to learn how to become independent. And when you, dad, or mom interfere too much in that process and fail to kind of launch them, then they just keep coming back. It's like I call it feed the cats syndrome. If you feed cats... Anywhere in the alleys or back behind your house, guess who's going to come back tomorrow? The kitty cats. And they got friends. You wonder where they come from. So don't feed the cats. That's my lesson. I'm done. <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> all right, all right. Number one, here we go. The freedom to be independent. That's what you need to focus on. Freedom on, to be independent. You want your kids to be independent doesn't and here's, let me help you out in understanding kind of the, the, the spectrum. I think as a little child, when the baby's born, the parent relationship needs to be like uh, I'm your teacher. I teach you everything. I teach you to eat. I teach you to wipe your snotty nose. I teach you to go potty. Oh, see, we're potty. You teach him everything. You teach him to wipe. You teach him everything. You teach him to drink water. Not throw their green beans. You teach them everything. And you learn real quick that they're little sinners. You do. <laughs> they come out biting and yelling and mind, mind, mind. Like it's very obvious if you do not understand original sin and born into sin. It's like, come on, look at a baby. You're like, it's so cute. Nah, it's wicked. <laughs> so. Of course they're beautiful, right? Packaged in beautiful clothes, skin and all that. But anyway, so you got to teach them to be independent. So as a parent, child, like parent in the beginning years, it's a, you're like a teacher. And then as the kid gets older, you move from being the teacher to tell them what to do, listen up on everything, you become a coach. You coach them in life. Then when the kids get older and older, more grown up, and they don't want your advice anymore, they're becoming more independent you become the consultant. I'm here for you. You moved out, you're getting through college, I'm proud of you. Call me if you need me. I'll be your consultant. You know and I know, right? Consultants, you can hire, you can fire. You can take their advice, you can reject their advice. Some of you that are in the empty nester category, you know, you got to realize where's the difference? Are you coaching? Are you trying to be the teacher? Or are you going to be like a consultant? I'd encourage you to be like a consultant. The older your kids get, you need to transition in your relationship. You want them to be independent of you and dependent on God. Amen? So then what happens later? Well, then there comes a point where they don't even need your consulting, perhaps if they ask, but then you become like a friend. So I'm 42 years old. I don't like to keep track anymore. My little daughter, uh, she's nine. She calls me Chubby and baldy. She says, Daddy, you're chubby and baldy. I'm like, okay, be quiet. So at this point in my life, 42 years old, my relationship with my dad is a friend. If I need wise counsel, I'll call him up from time to time. But I got other people I I call, I talk to. So the goal ought to be is a freedom to be independent. Independent. I can remember uh, one example where it didn't go so well, where my dad was on this rampage to get me and to grow into independence and grow in biblical masculinity, leading and and serving others for the benefit of others. He's had me on this journey, and I I appreciate it. I came to faith in Christ when I was 18. uh, The prodigal son story came and reconciled my relationships with my family, my friends, Broke up with my girlfriend, quit acting like a heathen and a fool, did the whole prodigal son spill. I mean, I'm like, just, uh, I'm so sorry. I I need you guys in my life. I love you. My dad took me back. He helped build me up and strengthened me. And then I went out and I served in Colorado as a river rafting guide or a rock climbing guide and a backpacking guide. And I grew in my leadership there. And uh, one of the head owners said, Ryan, we want to put you in charge of a lot of the other guides and you're going to become a trip leader. I was like, man, I was young, I felt a little out of place, like, am I really cut out for this? So I remember all, all the youth, about 13, 12 youth, a couple youth leaders, and then my junior guide, He's, I, he reports to me. We're going into the back, back country of Colorado, we get dropped off on day one, and then day 10, we get picked back up. And we've got 50, 60 miles to cover. We need a bag of 14er. You got all sorts of stuff out there. Big game and bears and elk and, you know, people can get altitude sickness. People could break an ankle, break a leg. They call in for a helicopter to get air, air, airlifted out of there. Last case scenario. So anyway, I'm getting on the bus, standing beside this tasty freeze, and I I'm, I'm, uh, pick up the phone. And I think I'm going to call dad. I'm a little nervous. I don't know if I got what it really takes. So I'm going to call dad. So I call, hey, I get the, my mom answers. I say, hey, mom. Yeah, it's me. Is dad home? Oh, yeah, he's somewhere. What's going on? Well, I'm about to lead the trip. They, they asked me to be the trip leader. And, uh, we're about to get dropped off in the back country. I just wanted to call home and just ask for your prayers. Oh, we'll be praying for you for sure. Now, what, what did you say? You're going to be the what? The trip leader. Oh, Ryan. Do you, Do you, Are you sure about this? I'm like, uh, I thought so. Why? What do you think? Well, I—I I mean, is there anybody else out there with more experience? Like, what if? What if somebody gets hurt? What if somebody needs a, uh, an airlift? What would you do? I, I, well, I've got a protocol for that. Son, are you sure about this? I don't know, Mom. And then all of a sudden, my, son, my dad gets on the phone. Hey, son, I heard you're going to be the trip leader. I'm so proud of you. You got what it takes. God's prepared you for this, Ryan. Just lean into it. I know you feel out of, perhaps out of sorts, a little uncomfortable. Just remember all the training you've been through. You've done it. We've been camping a hundred times. You've been in all sorts of situations. You got this, son. Oh, well, yeah, like your father said, yes, be careful okay, mom, bye. (laughs) What happens? See, in parenting, usually you got one that wants them to be dependent. And the other one says, no, get that boy out there. Let him be independent. Let him grow on his own. If he fails, good. He'll learn from his mistakes. He needs to go out there and grow as a young person. And so here's the reality is sometimes I call it cutting the umbilical cord And uh, a mother has a tendency to want to keep that child close and nurture that child, literally. And biologically, you get it, right? There's an imbillable cord. And that thing, I ain't cutting that thing. I'm sorry. I was there. They said, do you want to cut it? I was like, no, that's why I pay you. (laughs) Why would I cut that snake-looking thing? I'm not touching that. And then my wife's like, you would cut a deer. I'm like, yes, I would, but not you, you know. So, um, but when you cut that umbilical cord, like there's something incredibly powerful metaphorical there that you're, you're cutting that life connection. And the word Eve, by the way, means life giver. So the tendency can be in a parenting relationship, the mother can be overly bonded and symbolically try to reattach that umbilical cord. Oh, get over here, boy. Get over. That's so gross. That's a bad picture. But but what the father needs to do or the boy needs to do is cut it. Cut it. And that's why the biblical language in Genesis, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. There's this process of growing in independence that's so brutally needed, the freedom to be independent. Your kids need freedom to be independent and that means they're going to mess up. That means that it's going to be hard on mom, perhaps harder on mom than it is on dad. Secondly, I would say uh, kids need just the freedom to be different. God made us all different. I mean, think about how he made all his kids. The church is different, and, but yet the diversity brings forth an incredible unity, and there's power in diversity. Racial diversity, uh, ethnic diversity, personality diversity, economic diversity. it It is important for us to realize that these diverse uh, makings of God's people and even our own kids are incredibly important that we embrace. This is why in Proverbs it says, Train up a child in the way he should go or she should go. Get that? And they will not depart from it. I think it's a biblical principle that basically you got to figure out how to train up this individual little unique package thing called a kiddo and train them in the way they should go. And especially how many of you guys come from blended families or have a blended family? Raise your hand. It's okay. You're in a safe place. So you can imagine if you try to parent every kid just like your biological kid, it's not going to work. You, you you've got to embrace the differences and kids need the freedom to be different. Not every kid is the same. Some are short, some are tall, some are loud, some are quiet, some are skinny, some are not so skinny. And some have high metabolism, some have low metabolisms, like let them be different. I'm not saying just let them do whatever they want. I'm just saying embrace the differences. Because if you try to homogenize and make every kid just like one another, you're building little robots. You don't need a little robot. You need a little kid who's fully alive and in line with his unique custom design. And a lot of kids we have, right? They have like some serious setbacks. You've adopted or fostered before, or you've got a kid that's just got some real struggles that you're like, dear Lord Jesus, like why does my kid have this? Like my kid didn't ask for this. My kid has this. But I believe every setback is a setup for you to embrace that kid and say, God made you great. I love you. I'm so proud of you. God doesn't make mistakes, okay? So you you need to embrace those kids and their differences and the way God made them. Jesus was different. Mary had to treasure it up and figure it out. This kid's different. Simeon was right. This is so painful. But she embraced that. And so do you. You need to embrace the freedom to be different for your kids. Let them be creative. Let them think outside the box. Give them that freedom to think differently. Draw them back to the word of God's truth. Strengthen that. It's very, very important. And then uh, thirdly, I would just say the freedom to be honest. You want your kids to be able to ask questions, to be honest about who they, uh, or what they're thinking or what they feel. I mean, in today's time, if their honesty comes out in the boy's bathroom or the girl's bathroom, and it never happens in the home, you're losing the battle. They need to feel the freedom to be honest about what they feel like, what they think, because the world is programming them. And they have feelings, okay? They have feelings, good feelings, bad feelings. Sometimes I feel like being a really strong, good Christian husband, Sometimes I feel like being a little lower than the devil. Do you know? I just don't feel, feel like being a holy man of God. Do you, do you feel that way? You feel a, a dark side of you? Paul said this, that there's two forces at work. It's the spirit of God and the flesh. And they're at war all the time. All the time. And if you deny that, you're denying the struggle of sin that we're all born into. And so kids need this freedom to be honest about their struggles, their temptations, their trials. And why aren't kids honest at home? I'll tell you why. Listen up. Because this is really big. Because there's so many rules, and they feel like if there's so many rules, I can never fit those rules, and I'll disappoint my mom and dad so bad, so I'll hide it. I'll lie about it. I won't tell them. Because I don't want to disappoint them. Because their version of me is a good little Christian boy or girl who does everything right, goes to church, serves everybody. Jesus' name, amen. But what if your vision for that child is you're a sinner? You're going to screw up. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to break my heart. You're going to be a sword in my soul. And I get the chance to show you the grace of God and the mercy of God in your life. I get the chance to treat you like God treats me. See, when you change your mindset, it creates a different culture in the home where kids are like, I want to be honest because I feel accepted just for who I am. I feel like, yeah, I might have consequences, but I'm not going to be condemned. When you condemn your child, you, how dare you could you do that? What are you, an idiot? How dare you embarrass? You brought shame to our family. Of course, there needs to be a time for that kind of conversation. But here's a little formula that I've picked up over the years that I think is really important in the Christian life for kids and parenting is you want rules, you need rules. You need relationship. Rules plus relationship equals what? Right living, good living. You need rules. You need a relationship. Dad and mom need to be present with the kid. They need to be cultivating those relationships. But different seasons of their life, at one point they're a teacher. The next season they're a coach. The next season they're a consultant. The next season he's a friend. That's relationship. And then you get right living. That's the formula. But how do we do it sometimes? We go, oh, you get rules. I don't have time for the relationship. You want to talk to me about that stuff? Go talk to your mama. Go talk to somebody else. Oh, I'm glad you're stuck in your room on social media all day. Go talk to your friends. I'm busy with my work. I'm busy with my friends. I'm busy with my hobbies. Rules minus relationship, here's what it equals rebellion. Why did I rebel? Because I'm a sinner. Why did I run away from my family? Because I'm a sinner. Why did I uh, cause so much trouble in my own family as as an adolescent? Because I'm a sinner. But what was happening in my own family? My dad was busy really busy, building a practice, didn't have a lot of time for a relationship. Did I have rules in my household? I had a lot of rules. What did I do? I had rules minus the relationship equals rebellion. Is it my parents' fault? No, it's my fault. Was my dad there? Yeah, he was there, but not there as much as I wish he would. He's apologized over the years. What a good godly man. Son, I'm sorry. I put work before you. You were in trouble. I didn't come to you. I'm so sorry. If I could rewind the clock, I would do that. But I'm so proud of you now. And so they need the freedom to be honest and vulnerable. The Apostle Paul was very vulnerable all the time. He talked about his weaknesses. He talked about the thorn in his flesh. He was trying to foster for you what you desperately need, and the church family and your biological family greatly needs. You know what you what they need? Vulnerability, authenticity to shut up and act like you're not, stop acting like you're perfect, start saying you're imperfect, start saying that you struggle too. Because why? Because that gives the amplification and the opportunity for you to say, I need a savior. I need, I need help. I'm not perfect. This is why we have the grace of God. And so the freedom to be honest, when you're vulnerable, like the apostle Paul was vulnerable, in my weaknesses, there I find strength, he would say. And so in every setback, there's also a set up opportunity for you to experience God's grace. And we need to create these environments for our kids where they can just be honest and vulnerable. Doesn't mean that you don't give them consequences. You give them consequences. You do whatever it takes. Some of you are like, what do I do? I had somebody come up to me right after the first serve. What do I do? My, my, my son is way out of control right now. I said, well, tell me about the, the rules. Oh, we got lots of rules. What about the relationship? Well, we're struggling there. Give them the relationship and increase the rule. Give them rules and relationship tends to, not always, tends to lead to right living. Let me tell you why, son. Let me tell you why, my my daughter, why we're giving you these consequences. I love you so much. You know what? Forget about it. Let's just go talk. Let's go to Starbucks. We're going to talk about your heart, what you need, what's going on with you, and then we'll get to the consequences. Do you hear that? That's about relationship, making sure it's in place before we start executing the rules. Have you heard this before? Oh, you just wait until your father gets home. I hated that. That belt, I would just stare at it. Oh, oh. Rules and relationship. Last one is just the freedom to make mistakes. Do you see your kid as a sinner? then you're just going to expect mistakes. This sounds weird, but I have a very low view of humanity and a very high view of God. I just think that everybody is going to screw up. And then when they don't, I'm always pleasantly surprised. I'm like, wow, that was great. Because I believe in the doctrine of total depravity. It means that you're basically born into sin and Maybe it's not total depravity, let's use another word, total inability, about that. Total inability to please God apart from the grace of God. So I have a kind of mantra in our household that, you know what, we're all going to make mistakes, nobody's perfect, I talk about it all the time. I, I family, just put that, Yet yeah, we call it an influential family, well, let's just change that today and call it imperfect family. Imperfect family. That's you and that's me. Nobody's perfect. So we all need the grace of God. So freedom to make mistakes, I think about the importance of giving your child the opportunity when he makes a mistake, that you put them even in situations where it's going to test them a little bit, and then they make the mistake, and then you're able to help them correct those mistakes. These are incredible. Your, your kid is dying for freedom, Right? let me do it. I remember when Maya, we got a little uh, dirt bike. We had a little 50cc Honda dirt bike. It had training wheels on it. And some of you guys are saying, Ryan, you're a terrible father. I'm like, yeah, I line up. Everybody says that. So give them, I, I put her on a dirt bike at five years old. This kid, talented, would ride that dirt bike all around the church parking lot before we had to pay. Just having a heyday. One day she says to me, take, off, take them off, dad. I'm like, take what off? The training wheels. I'm like, I don't know about that. Your mom might kill me. We take them off and, ow. Pick her up, hey, sweetie, look, I told you, you know, I was really worried about that, but that, let's do that. Let's just take it and baby step. We went up to the sand volleyball court, and sand doesn't work good on a dirt bike. So she, she boom, boom. But that felt better. It didn't hurt, and it was pretty good. Two days later, she's whipping. Freedom to make mistakes. It's going to happen, right? I'm training my son right now. He's pretty much trained on how to drive a car. Like, should I expect him to absolutely be perfect in everything? If I ride him and tell him he's a terrible driver, you think it's going to build confidence? Like, you want him to make mistakes while you're with him, so you can be... Oh, the teacher when they're a little kid. Oh, the coach when they get a little older. Oh, the consultant so you can help them solve their problems. Oh, the friend so you can speak a word of love into their life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would apply it. I thank you for the truthfulness in Scripture. And Jesus, I thank you for you. That you can identify with us. You know our humanity and the frailty. And Lord, you know the power that rests in your divinity, that the same spirit that lives in you and raised you from the dead lives inside of us. That's powerful. So Lord, we just pray for the truth of Scripture to wash over our lives, encourage us and lift us up today and give us a a greater passion just to live in line with your design. And Father, wherever there's guilt or condemnation. I pray that it'd be broken in the mighty name of Jesus today. I pray that families would push forward and say, even though we've been doing it wrong, we want to get back on track today in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for all the kids and the families that each kid, Lord, would, they would, they would, they would take their steps to grow in a relationship with you. And they'd start depending on you more and more. Raise that up in our church, Lord, in the younger generation, that they start to depend on you more. And we thank you, Father, that the work that you're doing in and through this church and the families represented here for grandparents and empty nesters and parents and singles, and Lord, all that you're doing, we pray that we would treat people like you treat us. And that's the same principle we need to apply in this parenting message, is we're going to treat our kids the way God treats us. With grace in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, hey, it's been awesome being with you guys. Before I jump off the stage, I wanted to remind you: um, when you're giving, you make a big, a big difference. You know, one of my favorite things that we do at this church is baptize folks. And after the third service, we're baptizing a young lady by the name of Crystal, and we're real excited about that. So you can stick around and be a part of that. Yeah, you can celebrate that. And and when you when you give, just know like it's going to fuel and fund the ministry and uh, our everyday operation. So thank you for doing that. If you have not yet taken that step and this is your church home. Partner with us. Um, If you're brand new here, no obligation to give. We actually have a gift for you back at the Connection Corner. So thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.